Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. I'm Mike Pratt, and today we have an especially special time because I have with me some great friends, Doctors Delia Gold and Dr. Russ Horowitz. Thanks so much for joining me. You're definitely going to be hearing a lot more from these guys as we continue to develop our Gel Junior series. But in case you haven't guessed, we're talking about pediatric point of care ultrasound. How are you guys doing today? Great. It's doing great. Good to see everybody. It is fun. It's always good to have a virtual meeting. And especially, I see Delia pretty often, but I don't see you that often anymore, Russ. No, it's been a long time. Probably the last time was Australia. Yeah, riding in the bus and the bats flying overhead. That's kind of creepy. <laughs> That's what I remember, the bats. Those crazy bats. Okay, well, today, for one of our first Gel Junior sessions, we're going to be talking about this article on acute chest syndrome. And the title of the article is Utility of Point of Care Lung Ultrasonography for Evaluating Acute Chest Syndrome in Young Patients with Sickle Cell Disease. This was published in the Annals of Emergency Medicine, September 2020. Delia, can you walk us through a little bit of the background here? What's the deal with using ultrasound for acute chest syndrome? Is that something that we do or is this a crazy idea? It's not a crazy idea. It is something that we do. And they focused on acute chest as it is one of the highest causes of morbidity and morta mortality in our sickle cell disease patients. It affects about 30% of those uh, kids. And it's hard to diagnose because uh, it's a combination usually of clinical and imaging findings. So acute chest syndrome for those who need a reminder and for the purposes of this study was defined as fever with respiratory symptoms and a new infiltrate on a chest x-ray, plus obviously having a sickle cell disease. Studies have demonstrated that more than 50% of patients with ACS will have a normal physical exam meaning and vital signs, meaning we aren't going to be able to tell right away. So you're always having this question in the back of your head when you're taking care of these patients, do I just kind of need to reflexively get a chest x-ray if there's a fever or can I rely on my um, kind of my clinical gestalt? Obviously uh, in the PEDSY world, as well as adults, I'll give you guys a shout out, but more so in PEDS, we love Alara and we absolutely hate radiating people if we don't have to. And so as per usual, who comes in hot, POCUS. The authors focused on the idea that since POCUS can limit your radiation exposure while simultaneously identifying chest opacities or consolidations, they argue that a chest x-ray really shouldn't be used as our ideal screening test because of the radiation and that we should consider POCUS instead. So Russ, what does this study then try to do for the existing literature base? I think this study uh, is a nice way to, to look at this as objectively as possible. So what I mean by that is it takes the question about let's have patients who have sickle cell disease of all variants, uh, and they describe that, so SS and SC disease, uh, who came in with concern for acute chest. Kids at two freestanding pediatric emergency departments from zero to 21 years of age. And they said, if you're coming in and you have concern for acute chest, and you're getting a chest x-ray, then we're going to do an ultrasound for you. And it is observational only when there was an ultrasound provider available. The sonographer was not privy to details of the patient's exam and was not one of the caring providers. They included some other questions for the families about their general hospital care. And then this one other feature, how did you feel about your ultrasound? Now, I think as ultrasound and 
correct me if I'm wrong, but I probably think that most people listening and part of the podcast are probably ultrasound zealots. Yes? That's fair. So we would sort of agree that uh, our interactions with families and patients have revealed that people love getting ultrasound. They feel like we care for them better. They feel like we spend more time. They feel like we're paying more attention to sort of their concerns and we're doing stuff for them. But not a lot of studies have really addressed that question. Does getting an ultrasound make you feel like you're cared for better? And they included that as one of their questions. So hopefully we get that in the results. So let's talk a little bit about the actual exam, because in pediatrics, I know you can use a linear probe, you can use a curvilinear probe. What did they do in this study, and what are your personal preferences with regard to lung ultrasound? They had the probe in both the sagittal and transverse planes of anterior lateral and posterior chest of these children, and then recorded the results. They had both uh, an expert and then novice sonographers. The novices were trained with a traditional design we've seen in some other studies, where they got an hour of training, they did five studies, experts looked at the novice scans and sort of reevaluated those as well. And they use curvilinear and linear transducers, which totally makes sense because, you know, in a pediatric world, you have down from babies up to kind of linebacker sized uh, 16 year olds who are taller than you. And so we have to utilize all different sizes of the transducers, I would say more than you do in the adult world. At least for me, the way that I approach the lung protocol is I, and I think it's the way I approach POCUS, and this is why POCUS is so amazing and why it kind of gets the job done in a way that a lot of other imaging modalities doesn't, is that I'm actually tailoring my protocol to what I'm looking for. And I'm sure Russ does this too. And I know Russ does it because Russ was actually one of my first teachers. I just, I, <laughs> I realized I was, I was like thinking about lung protocols and when was one of the first times I heard it. And it was back when... Russ, I don't know if you remember when you taught me in Chi-Town at a course. Ah, so yeah, I, yeah. I, will, I will say what I think, but then I must defer to my teacher, my Zen master. I do think that, you know, obviously if you have a critically ill kid and you are really just trying to like cross things off the list, it's going to be a much, uh, it's a shortened protocol. You can't get them to sit up. You can't get them to get into their mom's arms so you can get the posterior views. So you might just do like a quick two lines. Um, down the front and the side and just kind of go go down the line of other things because they're so sick. This study, they're trying to replace a chest x-ray. And so you're going to need to use a way more uh, extensive protocol if you really want to increase your test accuracy and you want to catch everything. And so I don't, I, you know, they use the Copetti protocol, which they're scanning the anterior lateral and posterior lung fields in both the transverse and longitudinal orientations. But there's a lot of different ways to go about this. Russ, what do you do? Depending upon what your level of concern is, you might broaden or narrow um, our applications. I have moved very much towards simply doing a lung sweep. So I just place the probe in the anterior chest or lateral or posterior mid-axillary line, and I just slide the probe right down their chest, looking at each rib space. Do, 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 do. And if I see B lines, and this applies for pulmonary edema or for pneumonia or acute chest, or a contusion, anything like that, I'll slide down. And then if I see B lines, then I consider B lines a little bit like smoke. And I think about smoke as sort of helping me find fire. If I find B lines, then I move a little bit lateral, a little bit medial, rotate the probe a little bit to see if I find something. If I may, I would like to dub that method the Horowitz long waterfall, <laughs> where you start on the top and just let it flow down the chest, capturing all of the different lung zones. It's organic 
And I love the waterfall analogy. Now, back to the study, they did not use the Horowitz waterfall lung ultrasound method. They seem to actually have a, a pretty narrow definition for what counted as finding acute chest on POCUS because they didn't talk about beelines or anything. They only mentioned consolidations, and those consolidations had to be at least one centimeter. And that makes sense for those of us that have looked at studies or looked at lungs before, especially in pediatrics. You might find little tiny subpleural consolidations for almost anything, you know, viral illnesses or other stuff. So pretty nonspecific. Okay, so let's transition to the results. What did they find in this study? So they ended up having a total of 191 patients that they included for their data analysis. Median age of eight years old, about half of these patients were admitted, and they found an infiltrate on the reference standard of chest x-ray in 17% of these patients. So their primary outcome, it was a little bit hard to discern whether they really wanted to see how well the novice sonographers did or if they really were more concerned about the expert sonographer. So I'm just going to tell you about both of those. Their primary outcome of the accuracy of POCUS for detecting acute chest syndrome was 89% in novice sonographers and 92% for the expert sonographers. And that gave you a kappa of 0.67. So reasonable kappa. If we break it down into likelihood ratios, which I think is more valuable for test characteristics of a test to get an idea of how much it changes your post-test probability. For the novice, this means a positive likelihood ratio of about 8, negative likelihood ratio of 0.2. And then for an expert, we do get a positive likelihood ratio of 12.6. So you finally get across that threshold of 10 where we think of a pretty valuable test with reasonable specificity. Negative likelihood ratio also better at 0.13. So essentially the the test was pretty good compared to the reference of chest x-ray. Now there are a number of other pretty interesting findings and Russ mentioned they were going to collect some data from the patients and their families. Well according to these questionnaires which were most of the population filled those out 90% of the patients reported no pain with the point-of-care ultrasound scan, and 93% reported being satisfied with their care. That seems pretty good. But on the other hand, I was a little surprised, I guess, that 10% of the patients did have significant pain from getting an ultrasound of their chest. Have you guys found that to be the case in your scanning of these children? Some of the little people particularly are unhappy getting scanned because they have a fever, they're cranky, they're in a bad mood, they're worried, they're anxious. And if we use younger children and parental reports, then perhaps the pain would be confused with the anxiety or just discomfort. But I did a little dig in um, to really see is ultrasound a painful procedure. I think we all know that it's not, but I wanted to have as much information as I could say. And I dug back through to look at some um, studies of fractures clavicular fractures that were done almost 10 years ago. And both of those looked at faces scales and self-reported evaluations in kids who had clavicular fractures. And they said that actually ultrasound was less painful or no more painful than getting a chest x-ray. You know, I was looking at the age of the study. It goes down, it goes down to three, I would, three years old. I would say that that's actually right around there is where I think they tend to tolerate it pretty well. It's pre-three that they're just going to like if something good, if there's some good Paw Patrol on, you might get some scans in. But, oh, you know, if it's a bad episode or it's a rerun, you're going to get a riled <laughs> up kids. You know, they talk about the cold gel and the location of the probe as you kind of get like near the ribs. They're so skinny 
that I do mm. think sometimes like that rubbing on the ribs, I've oh. noticed even not for sickle cell kids that they just get a little testy near the sides. That's just, mm -hmm. you know, my observation. But I also think we need to kind of be cognizant and aware of this patient population. So pain is a huge part of their life, right? And so I think them focusing on these, the pain aspect is, is not only important for POCUS and some of the kind of negative things people can say about it, but additionally, the, the disease process itself. So I thought that was like super cool. I thought it was important, but I thought what was more important is that it didn't make people upset. And in fact, it made them feel closer to their physicians. It felt, made them feel that they were being attended to and listened to. And I would say that matches anecdotally what we all see when we do ultrasound rounds, even in adult population, you know, you can grab them a drink if they're not NPO, you can bring them another blanket. Now, there were a few more really important results I wanted to make sure we touched on. I really love when papers report specifically on the false positives and false negatives because it gives you so much information about why the POCUS was as accurate or inaccurate as they found it to be. So they had 11 false positives. And by that, I mean the person doing the ultrasound said, this looks like a consolidation. There was no consolidation on the chest x-ray. So four of those false positives were scarring that were seen on the x-ray, and that did not count towards their definition of acute chest. That makes sense because the ultrasound very likely did see some consolidation that was explained by that scarring. So I'm okay with that. One was an equivocal x-ray. And so again, possible that the ultrasound, as we know from many other studies, could even be more sensitive than x-ray for a lot of these things. I'm guessing the ultrasound picked up something the x-ray was not as good for. And now here's a big one. A couple scans were misinterpreted as a consolidation when they saw the spleen with air in the stomach next to it, and they thought that looked like air bronchograms. This is a really good point. When you're looking at the chest, especially in that left upper quadrant at the lower lung fields there, you have to make sure you're looking in the chest. You gotta find that diaphragm. And sometimes if there is a big consolidated lung, it's hard to distinguish the diaphragm from the bottom edge of the lung. But you got to make sure you see your spine so you know your posterior. You got to make sure you have your diaphragm so you can tell what's in the abdomen and what's in the chest. So I thought that was also a valuable learning point for people that maybe not as familiar with doing lung ultrasound. And then here's another interesting, the rest of the false positives, there was four more. Those ones were smaller consolidations, less than one centimeter. But three out of those four ended up having acute chest when they followed them out clinically. So that was really fascinating that the ultrasound actually beat the, the reference standard, which is always a problem in these studies. If you compare it to a reference standard that is possibly not as good as the POCUS, then it's going to make POCUS look worse than it is. So that was really interesting to me. And now the false negatives, on the other hand, a lot of those were just misinterpretation by the novice, meaning that the expert looked at it and said, yeah, that wasn't negative. That is a positive study. I like this because even though there's only a few cases, it actually says it doesn't lag. It actually predicts the future. That's such a cool point that you're making because I think about grabbing an ultrasound and kind of risk stratifying you based on what you think is going to happen has actually been useful and that ultrasound is very good for it. We spend all this time defending how, how good we are at, at ultrasound and how useful it is, but the reality is is these novice sonographers, although they didn't hit the percentages, the likelihood ratio that you want of 10, they did pretty darn good with like an hour of education and five scans. 
So overall, the strengths that we found for this study, we loved that it was a prospective study. It showed some really nice characteristics versus a really commonly used standard of chest x-ray. They did both the novice and the expert reviewers, so you can kind of compare those. And they focused on patient satisfaction with the ultrasound, which was really cool results to see. Some of the limitations we've seen time and time again. This was a convenient sample, so there is a selection bias with that. We know that the novices had a limited amount of training. Could it have been better performance if it was more? We may never know. And then we talked about some of the problems with using chest x-ray as a reference standards by itself. They did do a nice job of following out the patients, and you could see that sometimes point-of-care ultrasound did predict what the chest x-ray missed. So to close this out, I would love to hear, Russ, Delia, what are your thoughts on this study? Is it going to change what you do? Is this something that everybody should be doing? I recognize that they, we have um, colleagues, our critical care physicians, our hematology, oncology physicians, who are going to rely on chest x-ray. They may not be doing point-of-care ultrasound. And so some would say, we're getting a chest x-ray anyway. Why would you do ultrasound? Because people are going to rely on a chest x-ray and not what you see. But I recognize that I can see things on ultrasound really fast. Only takes a couple of minutes. Doesn't cause a lot of discomfort. And sometimes we can even see things better than x-ray can, as evidenced by these few um, cases of the small, smaller consolidations that turned out to be acute chest. So I can use this in conjunction with what uh, is utilized by the people upstairs, the chest x-ray, but I can start to advance my care. What I mean by that is, Someone comes in and maybe I have some level of concern where no, we're gonna get a chest X-ray. I do my point of care ultrasound and I see that he or she has a consolidation. Those patients, I'm gonna start my admission process earlier. Those patients, I'm gonna get in touch with my consultants earlier. I may choose to order antibiotics earlier and I can advance the care of the patients. They're still gonna get all the stuff that the people upstairs want and need, but we can work hand in hand to really maximize the care and streamline the process. So I don't think I'm going to say you don't have acute chest, you're totally gone, you don't need a chest x-ray, because that's what the people upstairs are going to need and use to follow their patients over time. But maybe, particularly for those people who are lower risk, maybe we could start to move forward and say, if the ultrasound is entirely negative and they have these features, maybe we can spare those kids from getting chest x-rays going forward. That's a little bit of a pipe dream, but you know we've been able to change stuff going forward for a while. So maybe we can. I love your optimism. That's good. Thank we you. need more of that. Yeah, <laughs> we need that. To me, what this is going to change is pr actually probably not much in my day-to-day -day practice. I already had it in my back pocket for the patients too sick to go to radiology, or if they had their own concerns about radiation. This already was an option, but I think to the world at large, we need to continue to build the, the tome of literature saying it's okay mm. to do this. And the more evidence that we have, it helps push the needle forward and get people to accept things. Like we need to keep pushing that envelope and we need to build the evidence so that if anyone does question it, or if you're starting to get added on protocol meetings for between like the ER and HEMOC, for example, you could say, hey, you know, have you guys considered that maybe for our lower risk patients, we actually just do the ultrasound. If their stats yeah. are normal, they're not tachycardic, they're not tachypnic, and the suspicion is low, and, and their labs are fine, are you okay with this? And we might find that as this kind of evidence builds that people start to get on board with it. So I think we have to keep plugging away. So you are optimistic. I 
am. I mean, I mean, I'm with my Zen master. I feel, I feel like a lightness just kind of radiating. Well, let me let me summarize this study for us. Then this was a prospective study of 191 pediatric patients with suspected acute chest. And they found that there was a very reasonable, and some might even say high, specificity and sensitivity to the test, with the expert reviewer having a positive likelihood ratio of 12.65, negative likelihood ratio of 0.13. They also found that overall families enjoyed getting this and were pleased with their care when an ultrasound was performed. So our take-home points from this article is that POCUS can be used to diagnose acute chest syndrome in the setting of a clinical concern compared to x-ray. And although you can miss a significant amount of cases, maybe it can serve as a screening tool of sorts. Remember the importance of this as sickle cell patients in general will be exposed to a lot more radiation than other patient populations. So the potential for benefit here is huge. You'll definitely be hearing more from this gel junior team, which includes not just Russ and Delia, but also Leanne McLean. So we got a great team here at gel and we're very excited for the future. If you want to find out more about our podcast, you can always go to ultrasoundgel.org, check us out on Facebook or talk to us on Twitter. And until then, we will talk to you later. More pressure, more gel, more pressure, more. You got to lean into the positivity. Cool.